Hello and welcome to episode 258 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 16th of October 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I am joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. Welcome, gentlemen, to the podcast. I don't know where I was going with that. I didn't have like a segue into a greater introduction. You sounded like the the master from an old Doctor Who episode. (laughs) Welcome. Um, No, so uh, apologies for, for missing a week. Last week, we were all busy or away or both. Mm. Um, but we're back with Miles Takes, probably on Assassin's Creed, which mm. we also spoke about last time, but I think we've all played a lot more of it since. Uh, the news, uh, or at least news topical subject, uh, maybe to discuss at the top of this pod, maybe has some, uh, it reflects a little bit the conversation we had about, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of varying open world games and why they do um the beginning of last episode because it is the thing that pretty much has has triggered kind of universal uh kickback across the industry which is uh some comments about the production of uh red dead redemption 2 that were um made um in an interview basically where the sentiment was or presented in a positive sense that rockstar employees had have are working 100 hour weeks uh, to make this game as, as good as it possibly can be and it's sort of telling to me I think that uh, the response has been as far as I've seen it and even among players as well like pretty universally like we don't want that Yeah, stop stop it I think the most telling thing here is the reaction on Reddit yeah and it was unusually in favour of the actual developers yeah I was really surprised by that I actually went yeah. there looking to kind of uh I was thinking, like, if anyone is going to come out in defense of Rockstar here, it's probably going to be Reddit, mm. and because um, uh, they kind of worship their games, and I, and also the kind of things they worship about their games are the kinds of things that you get when you have seven people working ridiculous hours for years. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, they're all, almost universally just like, "That's ridiculous! Don't do that!" <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, some pretty strongly negative comments. Yeah. I I always think that. So the actual, the specific quote was, um, uh, they've released a, like a clarification, haven't they? Um, saying right. that, uh, uh, it was one of the houses who said it and he was referring to like a team of like six senior people who, had, um, did a sort of crunch on, um, voice and writing and all the cinematic stuff basically, like, um, going over all of it now that it's all done to make sure it's all up to standard. And he said that's just how they like to do it. Um, but, and then, then said like, no one is ever junior or senior is ever forced to work hard at rockstar. It's a weird way to say it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, none of it really holds much water because, um, we've had endless reports from Mm. rockstar employees who say they are, um, at the very least pressured to crunch or if not just straight up ordered to crunch. Um, and so that doesn't really hold any water. And I wish like the, the reason it's big, it's been a big story and that people are mad about it is because it was presented as a kind of look how hard we work kind of thing yeah presented as a positive and you really should just be deeply ashamed <laughs> if, <laughs> if you've ended up where in a situation where you need to work 100 hour weeks like you really fucked it up at that point you should be like with great humiliation i must admit we've been working 100 hour weeks yeah we uh, we were bad at project management yeah and mm. so um so this has happened yeah like even if it's only you, you should be quite ashamed of that if it's other people who are having to work to fix your management mistakes that's even worse i think it's yeah and i think it's specifically even if the, you know the clarification that specifies you know by the time the clarification came along and specified like we were talking about certain kind of people in position of leadership like the story itself had been enough to encourage a lot of former 
even more former Rockstar developers to share their experiences of crunching on GTA five and the mm. original Red Dead and, yep. and stuff. It's just like, it is an invi- inadvisable thing for a developer to ever say, because if it's your, even if you're talking about your solo indie project, it's like, you know, the, the response there should probably be like, it's okay. Like don't, you know, look after yourself. Right. But when you're in a position of responsibility for people and you already have a reputation, a bad reputation in this regard, mm. It just feels like it's such a bizarre, like, it feels like one of those sort of statements that comes from a completely different set of values. And I don't want to presume too much in terms of what the values, those values, you know, the houses particular values are when it comes to running their companies, but the track record isn't good. So if they're going to say things like this and not expect it to be controversial, then that tells me kind of, I don't know, it tells me something about the culture of the company, right? Or it heavily implies that culture hasn't really changed Hmm. or else, you know, if, you know, I feel like, um, a counterpoint to this is, you know, I'm sure that any company making these really, really huge labor intensive games has, you know, have issues, um, you know, encounter management, time management issues or, or work stuff very hard or, you know, have issues not paying overtime. Like these stories are all available all the way through the industry. Hmm. But thinking about it now compared to a couple of years ago, it's notable that most companies are pretty embarrassed to even cop to that right like it's the simple attitude of crunch is something we can brag about mm. that feels very sort of out of touch with the way things have changed yeah. um like pointedly I, I think um uh you know i i don't know the inner workings of every single ubisoft studio and god knows there's loads of them but i know that they would be they would be very embarrassed if one of these stories came out about one of their studios now for example not that, that says that you know the system is working perfectly for them but I don't know that it isn't. But also, you know, I, I know that there's at least uh, an awareness that it is an issue. And I think that's maybe what alarms me here. And you you see awful job security throughout the games industry. Mm. Uh, and people are typically just laid off right after a project's done. It's almost like contractors roaming around, you know, uh, particular cities in the US or, you know, wherever the, the, a studio is based. It's going to go from one to the other and picking up contracts here and there. Um, and there just seems to be no job security in lots of these situations. And in that, situ- that context, the company doesn't have to tell you to work 100 hours. It can create an environment where everyone there feels as though they have to in order to mm. stay on or, or not, and not be sidelined and not just be let go. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there's been lots of talk about unionizing among, you know, mm. creating proper like developer unions, that kind of thing. And I've seen lots of, uh, chat directed at media as well saying that we should factor this stuff into our reviews and that kind of thing and i think that uh is a bit controversial because you Mm. you know there's a point where you you have to have like really on point reporting about what the internal culture of a company is before you start mentioning that in reviews and actually holding it against games because you don't really know what's going on inside a lot of these companies because a lot of the people involved have signed draconian ndas that Mm. mean they cannot talk about their experiences until that company is dead basically yeah. uh so it's it's a, a, a difficult closed system and there's a definite power imbalance it feels like um that mm. weighs against developers in this situation i think like yeah good investigative work can and should be funded and supported and it takes the time it takes in order to in order to happen i think you know that was obviously very uh important um in terms of what the story about right earlier this year yeah. but that that stuff takes it was years time. in the making, I think. Yeah, it was like, yeah. So that takes time and it's not, you know, it's interesting this kind of factor into reviews thing um, because 
you would at that point be asking uh, a writer to do a a completely separate independent kind of investigative piece Mm -hmm. while also reviewing a video game which are completely different disciplines and and also the pressures like (laughs) you don't have any time to review video games like you don't have any time to actually do it you have to literally just play it from start to finish and you know to use an own hill phrase poop socket uh, and just get through it and then you know try and come up with the like you don't have the time to analyze these issues you just don't and you know Mm. uh media outlets have their own forms of crunch basically and that does not help the <laughs> industry they cover journalists are now crunching to cover the crunch in the games they're reviewing <laughs> yeah. right but, yeah yeah but you know that someone will drop an mmo on you like a day before embargo and then you know <laughs> what is that but you know you're just gonna have to play it Prime every single hour of the day yeah. and, and you know um but that's the product of the crunch that's happening in the studio as well like it's it's an, an, just a yes an imbalance of uh, yeah, and, and similarly, like, you know, the, those studios are never more difficult to get access to than when a game is very imminent. Mm. Like, you know, it, it, because of the high turnover in staff, you know, there are situations where after a big project finishes, you know, staff get let go or, or whole teams kind of end up in the wilderness. And then you start to see the kind of glass door reviews and the sort of mm. the whisper network kind of pick up and, and start telling people what the story was. I mean, it's something that, it already has, has sort of I've been uh, prior to this week was wary about with with Red Dead because because the first Red Dead was the basis for the Rockstar Spouse series of kind mm. of like disclosures about their practices and then there was um you know terrible stuff about the making of L.A. Noir mm. um and you know these are not like the same managers necessarily but like there's you know there are big red flags there and i was always really worried about you know necessarily like getting super excited about red dead and playing it loads only to then find out because i loved for example i loved the first one and then it was it really soured that to find out that this thing that i really loved had you know caused a lot of pain in, in its in its creation and hadn't necessarily rewarded people who who put so much time into it and so I sort of, it's weird. I was thinking like, it would be great to get some reassurance that this is, this one is, this one is okay. You know what I mean? So for this to happen this week is, is really bad. Like, I think this is, for me, it's the nail in the coffin of me playing the game. Like, I just won't, I don't have the time to really, like, you know, it was always going to be an edge case and if it was incredible, I'd give it a go. And now I feel it's completely missable, which, mm. um, I don't know if that. Definitely. Um, it takes the, uh, allure out of all these kind of like minutiae they've been bragging about or yeah partly them bragging about but mostly actually journalists coming back and saying oh it's amazing because you like when your gun gets dirty and then you go in the river it washes the mud off the gun and it's like when when people were pushed to the to unhealthy limits to make that suddenly all the frivolous features just seem like fucking stupid instead of Mm. charming Yeah, like the what, like the auto descending horse testicles or something. Like, you, <laughs> like I didn't need them. Like in hindsight, right? Like, <laughs> did you see me sit in any chair? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you can sit in any chair. Why is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of games where you can sit in it. It's yeah. true of Fallout. It was true Bethesda's game. This is, I think, a Red Dead fan site, and um, I can't remember the exact phrasing of their tweet, but it was something like, um, "What's the name of the character in it?" Uh, Oh, if fuck. I wanted to say the character from the other it's one. It's not Graf- 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 Is it Arthur or... Arthur sounds right. Let's call him Arthur McShane. Okay. Uh, Arthur McShane can sit in any chair. Sitting in chairs near NPCs will allow you to gather information and hear dialogue and stuff. <laughs> and it was just like, the way they were so impressed that you could sit in any chair in the game. <laughs> it's kind of... 
Yeah, yeah, I do wonder. Like, it was interesting. Like, as you said at the top of this, you know, the the Reddit response wasn't purely to defend Rockstar and say, mm. you know, people are being oversensitive. Like, uh, it's interesting to me that, um, yeah, that like there is a, a at least a kind of you know some degree of kickback against these kinds of boasts. I do wonder. I mean, it just seems so unlikely that it will translate into any kind of you know, meaningful downside for the sales of the game or anything like that. It seems completely, completely unlikely. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it will translate into some good people being reluctant to go for a job at Rockstar. Yeah, that's true. A meaningful thing. That seems like maybe the best outcome actually, isn't it? It's like if this just gets, if this becomes the public message and it becomes harder for them to hire and they have to do something to, you know, uh, change their culture. Hopefully. Um, so <clears throat> from one uh, sausage that we now know how it was made uh, to a sausage that we don't know how it was made. Should we talk about Assassin's Creed? <laughs> <laughs> the unknown sausage. Yeah. was the original subtitle for that yeah. game. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think on the last episode I said that I wasn't sure which, which uh, open world game was going to get my <laughs> money in time. And I, I just picked Assassin's Creed based on the strength of your testimony, Tom. I just wanted to kick people off stuff. Yeah. And, and take people's shields and, and whap them with them. I can do that real good. You yeah, can. you really can. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what was it that prompted you to? Um, I was really excited about it anyway, because I, I liked Origins a lot. Um, and I particularly liked, you know, if the whole picture was just like Origins, but you couldn't play as a woman this time, I would have been very excited anyway. And then also like the, the location looks amazing and then kicking people off stuff. And then you told me it still had the eagle. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was uh, very excited and I was, um, uh, Enjoying it a normal amount, um, up until I got to a point where I won't spoil any plot specifics, but, um, uh, th- there was a choice to sort of, uh, kill or not kill a, a major character. And I chose kill and I thought they're probably not gonna let me do this, are they? And then it looks like they're not gonna let you do it. And then she does it. <laughs> oh, fuck yes. And then right after that, another plot character runs at you and like you're in combat. And that takes place on a really high cliff. And it's right, like, yeah. can yeah. I, can I really, can I seriously, cause I hit the guy a couple of times and like his health bar went down by like 1%. I'm like, this is a big fight. They're probably not, not going to let me do this, but I did it. I dodged through him. They, like I stood on the precipice intentionally to lure him towards me, dodged through him, turned around and kicked him off it. And he's yeah. just gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. I fucking love this game. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's the, it is the like, um, yeah, I love it too. And it's, 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 it's fucking busted as hell. Like I can't really get around like, and, and I found it like, I think it'd be very easy to pick holes in for that reason. Mm. But like my first time I took on a mercenary, I was like, I'm going to take a mercenary on that's like one level higher than me. And it's probably not good that you can't really reasonably fight them if they're one level higher than you because they just don't take any damage. But by repeatedly luring that man with his bad AI up to the top of this hill <laughs> and kicking him in the sea and waiting him to swim back to shore while peppering him with arrows as he runs like the three miles back to me and he comes back up the hill and I kick him into the sea again like I was having a great time and it's a combination of like dodgy AI maybe some questionable top level design decisions mm. like all of this stuff that made that happen but I, I, I found myself thoroughly entertained and and maybe that you know, is a testament to the fact that all we needed to do is give you the ability to shove. Yeah. And it's it's actually, yeah, it's funny. The kick almost feels like the opposite of the, a lot of the things Origins added, which is this idea of like levels. And if this guy's high level new, you just kind of do no fucking damage. And that Mm. was like all about shutting you down and saying like, if we didn't intend for you to do this, you just can't fucking do it. Mm. And then the kick is like, actually, if there's a sure sure (laughs) enough drop, you can do it. (laughs) 
Yeah, those Greeks loved building their temples up on high, high, high cliffs. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. Like in Egypt, what, you're going to kick him into some sand or something? Like, <laughs> and pyramids are famously sloped. So. <laughs> exactly. They just roll casually all the way down. Like, uh, actually, oh no. this is fine. It's like, it's like when you get into naval combat. And or and you board uh, another ship. Oh, just and, kick them all. Yeah. And it's like it is like, um, you know, there's a there's a, 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 a no no huge spoilers, but there's a there's a mission where you go kind of go. It's a side mission. You go on board a friendly ship to like hand in the quest, and there's a chance that things go wrong. Mm. And um, my own ship was parked nearby, and I had swum across to this friendly ship and, and climbed on board and was talking to somebody. And then it turned into a huge fight on this other ship, and none of my crew helped at yeah, all. Yeah. Like they're all stood there on the deck of my ship, all like a couple of dozen people that I've <laughs> kicked and then recruited, <laughs> <laughs> like um, standing on the deck of the ship, watching me systematically boot like a whole ship's crew into the ocean yeah. like one after the other and there are omnipresent sharks in those oceans as well yeah. they all just like materialize around any victims that are in the water and you'll see them just like it just horrendously swallowing them up it's and, like, i think sorry yeah, go on. No, go on. during every boarding action anytime anyone gets a hit on me i mentally think the exact same thing which is do you want to get kicked into the sea because that's how <laughs> yes, you get <laughs> <laughs> like especially because like i really like i really like a lot of the weapon types so i, I i'm playing sort of the, the warrior archetype where you do a lot more just sort of like some yeah, stealth but like mostly fighting and like i really like the staff like for these big sort of sweeping mm. attacks that sort of push people backwards because you can kind of just like thin up the hurt keep people at arm's length and then like single out someone to kick in the sea <laughs> and it's just that's the game like <laughs> it's set you know 300 years or whatever before the foundation of the assassin's order and before they discovered like hidden blades and leaping off stuff <laughs> they did know how to jump into a hay bale um but they also had this technique that maybe the subsequent assassins lost which was just kick people in the sea yeah. like yeah forgotten knowledge that was yeah future assassins are not able to do that yeah <laughs> um it's such a like it it is it shouldn't be as good as it is the kick for as long as it is because it is just like it is like a level one skill that is basically a joke it's like mm. you remember 300 right here's the kick from 300 and yet it, it's game defining <laughs> like i have sort of like picked up other abilities but mostly just sunk points into anything that speeds up the time around the kick all right can you speed up like the cooldown no, but you can you can get things like the slightly advanced, more advanced assassinate, where you hold down the button, which means you can like, you know, actually kill some people. So like, the, what I mean is that you're you're not speeding up the kick itself, but you're making every kick worth more because the rest right. of your abilities are lethal. So it's like yeah. I can k- take out a couple of people with my bow or or with an actual assassinate, but then that will leave the one you know gold elite enemy. Um, whom I shall kick in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if um? Uh, I've only got it at level one and I haven't upgraded it because it says the upgrade just increases damage and I don't actually use it for damage. I'm only ever interested in kicking people into the sea. <laughs> they seem to go a bit does further. It, do they go? Okay. And so uh, that might be... Uh, I have, to... I've failed a few times. Like I've been on, on a tall tower and I've kicked someone and they've kind of bumped into the edge. Like the edge is not... There's no barrier there. They just sort of hit the, the, oh, the drop as if it's a as if it's a wall, which is exactly what the skill is about, you know, not doing. Hmm. And so I didn't know if it... Like I'd like to be able to kick them a bit harder. <laughs> I like I I can't say for sure that you do kick them further, but I did earlier kick a guy like all the way across the boat and off the other side of the boat from the one I was trying <laughs> to. I don't think I could have done that previously. Mm. In fact, earlier I kicked a guy so hard I kicked him onto my boat. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no. This works for you now. And like, no, the game doesn't really. Well, the game has a way of handling it. But basically, your boat while you're boarding 
is a damage zone for enemies from the other ship. Because so, oh, right. I don't think it can fully simulate like a, a fight on both ships at the yeah, same right. time. So they just take damage, like ambient damage from like wrong boat, wrong boat, <laughs> wrong boat, and then they die. <laughs> like, I don't like it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> like Herodotus literally just stares them to death. <laughs> I'm actually um, uh, tackling with a lot of these systems right now because I have a um, cultist, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit. Um, who is, uh, he's the last one on this little branch. I've got, I killed like four or five and, uh, I'm like level 25 and they were sort of level 20 ish. Um, and this guy's level 49. <laughs> and, uh, it feels like because he's right there in the branch, with all these low level fit people, it seems like I should be able to complete this somehow. And so I was just thinking like, you know, normally I would, <laughs> I would take that. Yeah. I tracked him down. I found him. Um, and the clue for him is in the level 49 area. And that was quite a fun adventure of like, you know, dare I go into this? I just got to go in a cave and like find a thing. Um, and that was fine. And then I, I found him. And like I say, like I'm getting mixed signals from the game because his level is telling me you cannot touch this guy. Mm. But then the fact that he's sort of presented to me in this way, like it's the last of the set. You've done the others. Why yeah. not give this a guy again? <laughs> um, so I found him. Uh, and he's on the coast. Um, and so I brought my entire boat and I just thought, well, fuck it. I don't, I can't take him in a fight. Can I just shoot, shoot him, him with all of my archers? Yeah, yeah. And so I've been bombarding this coast for like 20 minutes <laughs> and it has had no effect on him. Uh, it feels like, it feels like there's just a straight up rule of like ship weapons don't hurt normal people. They can only hurt boats, right, I think. Yeah. Um, certainly people on land. Cause I, I, I shot at him for a long time and I, it's hard to see cause it, you can, you can only get so close to this coast. Like they don't let you go into the shadows, obviously. Um, so I was like, I'd fire a few volleys. Then I'd go into the Eagle mode and fly over and just check on him and see like, is he, is he where I think he is? Yeah. He's where I think he is. Go back and fire some like <laughs> fire arrows and some javelins and stuff. Um, and no effect at all. And then I crept up onto the coast. I, I'd be really interested to know. You can certainly kick people who are like a couple of levels higher than you, but I don't know if I can kick this guy. I haven't got the chance yet because he's surrounded by guards who are also level 49. Um, but. I did it. The test I did was I've also got a rocket launcher arrow. <laughs> it was like a, one of the higher level bow things is, um, uses three adrenaline slots, but, um, it's just explodes on impact and has a lot of knockback. And I've been using that for, uh, if I can't get behind someone to kick them off something, I shoot an arrow behind them and knock them off something. Nice. That's really, that's great. Um, and I tried one of those at his feet and he did not budge at all. Mm. He, he just got up. Mm. He was sitting down at the diamond and he just stood up. <laughs> I don't like that, but I was not in any way affected by it. So I'm worried I might not be able to kick this guy. Even if I can, I can't really see a way to do it without just getting slaughtered by all his friends because I literally can't kill any of these people except by mm. potentially mm. kicking them into the sea. <laughs> My mind just went to like the levels telling me no, but the cliff top, the cliff top's <laughs> telling me yes. <laughs> Oh boy, what a game. Like, it's like, like, I've, I've been hanging out on a pirate island where at any given time, someone's fighting a big pig. <laughs> like, it's just a hundred percent extremely angry pigs a hundred percent of the time. Like, I was walking through a town and a bunch of chickens started attacking me. <laughs> and so I killed the chickens. I, I killed the chickens. And then I got a bounty on my head for killing chickens. Mm. And then like... How I, much was the bounty? It was like half a bar. <laughs> and then like, but I already had some some bounty. So then a mercenary shows up whose name is like Tamon the Dickhead or something. <laughs> and he like comes riding on a horse. And I had to kill him. And it's like, I need, like <laughs> the chicken avenger. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, and it's, it's, it's dumb because, you know, obviously like, you know, it's Ubisoft animal stuff versus kind of open world jank and all these kinds of bizarre 
um behaviors and yet i find it kind of relentless entertaining maybe because it's so wonky sometimes (laughs) like and i think it's laudable that the game actually lets you sort of um uh it's got a much more persistent world state than previous assassin's creed games i think and then indeed a lot of previous uh uh ubisoft open world games because like you know, most like even things like collectible mission objectives, like, you know, special things you got to find in ruins and stuff for a particular quest are there even before you have the quest, which allows mm. you to like suddenly have completed quests. You yeah. don't realize that you've completed, mm. uh, which is really cool. Apart from the fact that they didn't go as far as to change the dialogue. Like if someone says like, find me the 18 pieces of lost silver and you've got them. Then you go like, oh, that sounds boring. Where are they? <laughs> and like, oh, why would I In do my this? Pocket. A psych. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should just try and drive up the price, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. mercenary. Oh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't know. It could take me hours. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, I do occasionally feel a weird sort of emotional, sort of almost sense of awe uh, sometimes going around the world of Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed Odyssey, specifically um, reaching Athens. And seeing mm. the Acropolis and seeing like their version of what that might have looked like in its kind of prime and, you know, mm. before, before history played out. And, um, like I find that quite emotional because it, I feel like it connects me to people thousands of years ago and make, still just making amazing things. Yeah. But yeah. obviously like they gloss over a lot of the slavery and a lot of the stuff that was involved in actually creating these, mm. these things, but simply seeing them like it, in a, a version of their former glory was, I just find that really emotional. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Peaceful. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting cultist quest that touches on the slavery thing. Mm. Um, should we yeah. talk about the cultists? Yeah, we should talk about the cultists. I think we should. I mean, maybe it's a spoiler. So uh, I give a little spoiler warning. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's like it's it, the system itself is not a spoiler. Like yeah. there are certainly things surrounding the plot. We can probably talk about the system. Let's talk about the plot. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, if, if you're beyond the fact that it involves a cult, I don't think there's, there's really much to say about the plot side of it. Yeah. I, I found them. The, the mechanical system that opened up was like such a surprise when it happened that maybe people won't more want to preserve it, but yeah. I mean, sure. Pe- yeah. People probably skipped it already, but based on that, <laughs> what I've just said. So let's talk um, about it. It's good. Yeah. So you, uh, uh, after a certain point in the main story, uh, you, uh, come into contact with a cult who are all masked and robed and that introduces a menu in your, in, in the interface of just literally 42 people to track down and kill. And they are, um, initially the sort of default state for them is you don't know anything about them. Um, and then you get, uh, in some cases you'll get a clue. Uh, if you find some evidence that points you towards them, you get a clue that, um, you, uh, you get a clue to the clue. So in the interface, it will tell you, oh, the, the, a clue to this cultist is, is lost in a cove on the scavenger coast. And that was the level 49 one that I was talking about, uh, scavenger coast is the level 49 area. Um, and I, I just went around it on my ship looking for a cove and I, um, uh, found something looked like a cove and it turned out to be the wrong cove. This has happened a hundred percent of the time, by the way, with these games. <laughs> like, it's a fort in Locris. Oh, I'm in Locris. Here's a fort. It's this one. It's this. No, it's not this one. <laughs> there must be another fort in Locris. Oh, there's a fort. It's definitely this one. It's definitely this one. No, it's not this one. Uh, or there's a mine in this area. It's definitely this mine. No, it's not that mine. It's a different mine. Um, but anyway, uh, once you track down the clue, the clue will, uh, let you unveil them and, uh, that literally puts them on the map. You just have a live tracking of wherever they are at all times from then on and you can just go and kill them. Mm. It's not like a special scripted thing where you can't kill them at certain times mm. or you have to enter into a scripted scene. Actually, there's one guy I've, I've found now where after you, you get him to zero health and he goes into that kind of like, 
plot state where he's <laughs> on his knees and like you can't finish him off and I had, I had done it in quite a sloppy way so his bodyguard was attacking me at the time so I just had to run off and like, <laughs> uh, rethink and then come back late actually I ran off and then the bodyguard chased me and I just kind of circled round and went back to the guy <laughs> and like, finished him off while his bodyguard was still looking for me um but other than him, like the rest, the rest of them have just been like, this is just a guy with, it, like, they might be a level above you or something, but they, they, um, only have so many hit points. And if you can find a way to take them out, then you can do it. Um, and that's really cool. Um, that's, that's what I want from this game, really. Like, I, I wish the whole game was like that. And actually, my only complaint about it is that, um, uh, I've got to the point now where almost all of those are locked off from me now. Like, I've either got to progress further than the main quest, or they're just 20 levels above me, or there's mm. some other reason I just can't do it yet. Mm. Um, but when he first unlocked the system, I had like, you know, 12, I could hunt down and that was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And there's something really, uh, like perfect about, uh, particularly for open world games, open world games, they've, ha- they've mastered scale a long time ago. Like, so the, the, the hugeness and the richness mm. of these worlds has been impressive for years now, but there hasn't, the thing we always end up saying about them is like, oh, there isn't enough to do in it or, and I think really it's just a case of like, finding the right kinds of things to do in in the world and um making them suit the game and this is the perfect thing for an assassin's game is just to have like 42 people out there in this world just Ooh. and they're just there right now um in fact a couple of times i've ended up killing a cultist without knowing they're cultists until i do it <laughs> um but when you you select one like you uncover the clue for this this cultist and you you say yes i want to track this one and you look on your hud and it says they're four thousand meters that way and yeah you look out over the sea and over like yeah. three other islands and it's like they're all the way across the other side of the fucking world and i'm gonna get them <laughs> i'm yeah. just gonna track them down no matter how long it takes right before you guys came over i was i was traveling from one place to the other in the boat and i realized oh i'm going past like this particular sort of cape and on top of this sort of cliff top is a temple and in that temple oh i've got oh, there's a guy marked there and he's level 20 and i'm level 20 I'll, I'll just literally like stop, stop the boat, <laughs> climb up the cliff. Yeah. And then like, I, I always like to think of things from the perspective of the crew, but yeah. then, like five minutes later, this guy comes sailing off the cliff, <laughs> like, <laughs> like booted off and it's like, ah, splash. And then it's like, hooray. And then off I go. Like, like, you know, cause it's sort of, um, yeah, the, something I really like about it as well from a sort of stuff to do sense is, um, this stuff, these systems, cause it's also the mercenary system. Like the game has two separate kind of, mm. three of these characters in the open world for you to kill. There's also the mercenaries that will also come hunt you down if you get a bounty by killing chickens. Um, but like those systems and the side quests generally sit completely to the side of like the kind of persistent war system, which allows you to flip territory for one mm. side or the other. Mm. And one thing I quite like about it is it like, it doesn't really like punish you at all for like, changing which side you're fighting for constantly like you're a mercenary and like yeah um there's something i quite like about how this sounds weird but like um i've been enjoying it partly because i think this the fiction and the theme really establishes that like in this particular version of sort of the world it's kind of okay to just kill loads of people all the time like the odyssey is full of like like and then i killed this building full of people why because it was the sort that's the story mm. and I th- one thing i quite like about it is it's, it's obviously, it's quasi-historical rather than purely kind of, you know, mythological. But that's something I can't let to get to on its own. Mm. But I feel like surprisingly kind of liberated in this world being a sort of mass murdering pirate lady, which, which is not to say that you don't kill those people in other Assassin's Creed games, but it felt like other Assassin's Creed games kind of had to prohibit you from just like 
you know, killing whoever. Like, whereas there's something about the kind of Greek Odyssey format, which says, like, it's dudes with swords and shields on an island. You're allowed to kill them because that's the kind of story this is. <laughs> and I, I really like that about it. Like, mm. I haven't really felt that anything I've done has been massively out of character, really, because mm. it's just all, mm. it's all free roaming sort of, you know, morally neutral pirate adventure all the time. Yeah, there's, there's definitely notes of, um, Assassin's Creed 4, like throughout, and not just yeah. because they've got, like, uh, C sections, but because, like, the guy you play in Assassin's Creed 4, again, doesn't have a skin in the game, really. Like, he, yeah. he he's there just to profit and, you know, survive. Um, and I, I, there's more going on with, um, Odyssey's protagonists, whether you choose Cassandra or Alexios, uh, but they are, like, I really like the character you play as because they are totally free. They're, they're yeah. not tied down mm. to any, group they're not a member of the assassins they're not a member of the Templars. Yeah, because the assassins don't exist yet <laughs> yeah so, and, and the, the, some family issues but you know they you know, spartan origin but f- fuck it fight for the athenians if that's going to make you some money yeah. and get you a nice helmet <laughs> you know uh, i specifically fight for the athenians because i have a grudge against the spartans for, because of my backstory <laughs> i feel like I, they've done me wrong see I've, I've sort of turned around because um I, I was always fighting for the spartans until i went to athens Mm. And now I'm like, <laughs> like oh, oh, this is shit. the place you guys like. Okay, I'm on board. <laughs> oh wow, this is like maybe more of this throughout the world. So I'm just like pure. I now. like I sort of try and avoid like I because I, I haven't. Re- I think it's maybe maybe not a failure, but like I try not to like I haven't really like dug into the war stuff since it made me mm. like at all. Like if it's like why not steal the war chest? I'll do it for my own gold, but I don't really care about like destabilizing because basically to, to clarify how that system works this is another system <laughs> every region has its stability meter it's, it's owned by one faction and a little thing will probably tell you how stable it is and among the things that stability affects is how well secured the leader of that province is and anything you do that upsets the ruling power destabilizes it and this function and when you get stability all the way to the bottom you can trigger like a big battle that allows you to go fight on either side to either protect the place or get better rewards by flipping it. Yeah, it's weird. You can, like, you can instigate the whole thing, like, assassinate the leader, you know, weaken them by taking out all their supplies, then assassinate the leader, then trigger the battle and say, actually, I'm going to fight for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on their yeah. side. I was just playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, JK. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, but the uh, the best thing about this is, you know, when a, when a, a civilization is or a territory is fully secured, the leader and, and killing the leader of, like, the general of the army in that particular environment is another form of assassination mission that massively destabilizes the region. Mm. And often it'll be the last thing you do in order to kind of trigger that battle. Um, when, when, a, when a region is fortified, the leader, like, lives in a fortress surrounded by decent guards at all times. When you get it to its lowest, they make the leader go live in a tent yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and wear just like a robe in a tent by themselves. I'm so alone. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, but this, the great thing about it is they don't fire the leader. Mm. Like, and it'll be something like, this is like, you know, Eucomenides, master of the hippocampus. But if we make him, he's still the general of the, the, the Athenian army, but he has to live in this tent now <laughs> <laughs> because of other unrelated shames that we have. Like our security protocols don't make a lot of sense, but when they're at level one, <laughs> the leader has to go in the tent. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's always a massive, uh, heavily guarded facility called just the leader's house. Yeah. And the fact that he's ex- exiled from his own leader house. It's It's like we made Grandad live in I the I don't woods. even live in a leader house. Leader house. <laughs> like, but, um, and I remember the first time, you know, there's, on the critical path when it teaches you the system, there's one instance where you, you kind of have to do the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. A whole shebang. And, um, 
And I remember the first, like, I, I'd fully shamed granddad into having to go live in a tent in the woods. <laughs> and I was expect, I was still expecting like assassination time. And then I got there and he was just sat cross-legged in the rain, like <laughs> on his own. And then a, a wolf came along <laughs> and started to chase him. <laughs> so he was being, and I, so my whole plan of like, I'm going to sneak up on him and like, you know, do the kind of like risk we like in Pache kind of assassination thing. Not that, that didn't happen. <laughs> I ended up chasing him through the woods and then he ran into this little town and he, and then the guards of the town came along and killed the wolf. Hmm. And, and then he turned around to like sort of auto walk back to his tent. And as he was doing that, cause he was not aggroing to me at all, I just pressed triangle and like immediately, like impaled him on the spear of Leonidas. And it was just, it was like this full on moment of like, day. it was like, <laughs> oh, chased by a dog, <laughs> getting fired. So, <laughs> and that was the end of Eumenides, Master of the Hippocampus. Like, it, it's so good. Like, I've got to start why. whittling these things down more because I've actually been, um, uh, it's very ni- nicely dynamic that system where, like, when they're fully fortified, it's not that you can't kill them; it's just harder. Mm. And so, yeah, I quite like the assassination challenge. So I'm like, I don't need to burn all those supplies. I'm just going to go right, right for them. them. Yeah, like, nice. they're, if they're two levels above me, maybe I won't go for it. But if they're one level above me, I know I can take them. Mm. Um, and if they're standing on a cliff, yeah. And actually, <laughs> so my whole game, I have not gone the warrior path, and my whole game has just been I've gone pure assassin. You'll probably surprise no one to <laughs> learn. Um, and so every single bit of kit I have is just whatever boosts assassin damage the most, and every skill I get is just I get all the assassin related skills especially anything to do with how much damage i do from stealth because all i care about is what is the um i just want to maximize the number of people i can take out in one hit from stealth because mm. if you take out one hit it's clean and you get away with it and if if it's not then they fight back and that makes noise and then the whole thing is kind of scotched um and so i've because i'm specced for that i can take out sort of even like bosses of a level higher than me and i think i can probably do like two levels higher than me mostly but if they have like a boss with the if a boss has two borders, <laughs> like, is it like yeah. on, if they have one border, okay, if they have two borders, they're some kind of fucking god. <laughs> they're like insanely <laughs> tough. But actually, it's been quite fun to, I don't really like the equipment system, but, um, the skills, uh, are better than I thought at first for kind of countering that. You know, the, the fact that you can't, uh, this is my big complaint about Origins, which I've said before on the pod, which is, um, you know, when you're around people who are high level than you, the stealth attacks just don't work. And you just like, you stab them, but it doesn't hurt that much. And then they, they just fight you and there's no stealthy approach to it. And you might still be able to win, um, but not through uh, any kind of stylish means or, you know, the way I want to do it. And in this, you, that's still true for like someone who's five levels higher than you, but with like one to two levels higher than you, uh, if you're specced for it, there is a way to do it. And it's a question of like stacking all these different things that they give you to deal with this. So like, a normal assassination, and then you get the skill that upgrades how much damage that does, uh, just like 30% extra to all assassination attacks, then upgrade that another time, so it's 50% extra, then get all the kit that get boosts the assassination damage, then get the critical assassination, which is double assassination damage, uh, but it takes longer and it consumes adrenaline, so you've got to build adrenaline with other things. Um, and then get... I've now got, like, the skill that was just... Uh, sounds like it was written for me <laughs> called stealth master it's so nearly master of stealth but it's <laughs> sadly not um and that is like it's just like all your assassination shit is now way better and um you're quieter and uh you can hide better and at night they do more damage as well right so now every single right. assassination i sit there and i just wait till nightfall and then i go in because uh, i can there's a button again boost my yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah i don't yeah. literally wait for nightfall. <laughs> i press the button to wait for nightfall <laughs> um in fact, I'm not sure the time of day, if it changes at all, it changes very slowly. It does I've only change, ever actually. seen it change 
for it does the night. Change, yeah. If I wait for the boat, it's always dusk because it's always day. Otherwise, yeah. So there's only night. Then... <laughs> became a problem for me when I was fighting uh, the monster boss boar. Uh, that you yeah, it's a big that thing is fuck- so because I'm a spec for assassin damage that was, that was just hardcore. impossible for me <laughs> yeah, until yeah. I so I actually made reference to this boar um, on the last podcast uh, this is the one that summons mini boars because <laughs> it's like a multi-phase boss fight and it's multi-phase boars fight <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, I made the mistake of tackling this boar at dusk and um, as the fight progressed, so I'd, I'd chip it down to like 75% and loads of mini balls would come out and it just get darker and darker and darker. And you can't pull a torch out and fight because I was, you, know, you need your weapons out. Your weapon, yeah. And um, so it started to become like really hard to see the boars. I literally have to, had to go off and do a different quest just to kind of like <laughs> reset it. But then picked my time of day so I fought the boar at dawn because uh, <laughs> boars are surprisingly stealthy. It turns mm. out, like, you know, the, the coloration and the, where did know, the yeah. giant boar go? <laughs> well, I think I think the game has some logic for like spawning animals out of sight so that you don't ever see them pop in in front of you. Yeah, like your horse. Uh, yeah, your horse as well. So like I ran into that boss fight. Like I would know because it does a particular animation when it's summoning more boars, <laughs> and you kind of know the boars will always come from like an angle you're not looking at, which Ooh. gives you a sense of like which way to dodge. But like they always come in like an initial stampede. Ooh. Like the horse is great because if you like rotate, if you spin the if you spin the camera as you whistle for the horse, it will quite often come from somewhere really weird. <laughs> like you could, like I was standing in the middle of Athens and like span the camera around, whistled, and like the horse just sort of like burst out of like the front door of someone's house <laughs> and like kicked someone over. <laughs> it's like I I always feel really bad because I usually I think oh I I need the horse for this journey, so I whistle for the horse, and then I realise actually I'm on top of a really steep cliff. I should jump down here first. Hmm. So I jump after I've whistled, and the horse has just shown up, so he can't magic teleport anymore. Like he's just like oh, I'm physically here now, so. It, Oh fucking hell, I've got a path all the way down there. <laughs> yeah. Like I gotta take the long route. <laughs> it's so good. The um yeah, there's a lot of good like um like if you get off your horse, it just sometimes just spins in the spot. Like not in a mm. like T pose animation kind of way, just it kind of rotates over a bit, but it finds its place. And if anyone's walking past, it just like full on <laughs> knocks them over yeah. with its powerful ass. I I just <laughs> kick like 94 people in the face every day in <laughs> this game just to, to galloping through a, a city yeah. even on autopilot like the horse is just doing his own thing but everyone just stands in the fucking road and just get kicked in the fucking face again <laughs> and again oh man um yeah i have to say i really like the um i like the fact that it struck me playing it that i can't think of very many other games that are set in in ancient greece that aren't explicitly mythology themed mm. like obviously being assassin's creed this has some sci-fi elements and some mythological elements and and references to the myths and stuff and you can discover stuff um but actually like that gives it like and there's plenty of reasons to uh lament some aspects of assassin's creed's longer running metafiction and stuff Mm. but actually i think it works quite well in this context because it's kind of um it's like exactly the amount of myth i want in my ignoring the fact that it's assassin's creed game the, 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 the sort of sci-fi elements give it exactly the right of myth I want to find in a, in an ancient Greece game. Like, you know, if, if this is like, you know, the comparison is something like God of War or Titan Quest where fighting a Cyclops or a Minotaur or something is tutorial level stuff. Yeah. Like you, you expect to be, you know, and I've kind of fought enough harpies in games, you know what I mean? Like in terms of what the kind of classic Greek, mm-hmm. ancient Greek tropes. And so the fact that it is quasi-historical and like, but has these little sprinklings of myth around the kind of fringe of the map. Yeah, it's like sure, sure. an amount of like, not necessarily like magic realist, but like sort of, it's an element of like faintly mythological while still feeling quite grounded mm. that I didn't know I wanted till I played it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I really did dig that. Uh, have you guys seen the Snake Temple? Yes. Uh, in, is it up near from, up from Delphi? 
Um, possibly. I mean, it's, you can't miss it based on what's there. Like, no, yeah. I've been in a temple that's full of snakes. But no, uh, no, not that no, one. Okay. It's not that one. Okay. I say I won't spoil it then. But there are just like there are certain sites and things that you know you find that are just mm. explicitly not of this earth. You know, uh, yeah. the, uh, and I, th- I really like that is that's scattered peppered throughout the world, and it, it sort of takes you out of the historical aspects of it. Cause it's, it's, it's not like if you start to like examine this as a historically accurate piece of fiction you start to get into loads of trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> how greek society is structured and particularly you know everyone you've heard of from ancient greece is here in this party <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah have yeah. you done the party uh yeah where yeah, you're just like hanging in with yeah. like fucking euripides is there yeah and you can kind of own him on behalf of sophocles <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, it's so good I, like, I, I knew from the que- um from the quest text that i was going to meet socrates yeah uh, um like even ahead of time and of course you're going to meet him because like it's assassin's creed it's just you know who's who of you know this Vague, sort of, to a, yeah, you're, you're always, Assassin's Creed is always a story about someone who's who knew was like best mates with everyone from history, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. like they all forgot about, which is fantastic. <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, I'm a nice. fan of the Socratic method uh, in philosoph- philosophical context. Mm. Um, having studied at university, now that I meet the guy, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, Socrates, yeah. shut up! I like, <laughs> I like I, you know, I think that you know, the, the 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 I think the writing is extremely hit and miss. Like it's absolutely all over the place, mm. but. I quite like that, like, everyone's contemporary response to Socrates is like, oh, for fuck's sake, Socrates. <laughs> Where it's like, did I say anything at all? Or did you say something? Yes. I didn't say anything. I was simply trying to make you think. Anyway, Socrates out. Anyway, but is a horse good or is a horse bad? And can a horse be bad and good? Or are there, is there a good horse and a bad horse? <laughs> As your horse spins around, kicking people in the head. <laughs> oh, it's good. Um, yeah, that whole sequence is like... Um, just kind of bizarre from a sort of like classics point of view because it's like I don't know how they decided to characterize like Euripides for example or Aristophanes like and but they they sort of committed to a direction like they they were definitely uninterested in it being like I will explain who I am Mm. in a sort of edutainment kind of way that they basically it's a drinking game basically and you get lazy and sing a terrible song (laughs) yeah (laughs) excellent excellent mission yeah um yeah and just the strangest sort of like um the strangest moments of like i'm just hanging out with pericles and he's telling me about his, his problems and and herodotus lives on my boat yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, someone's gotta tell the story yeah yeah, yeah, yeah or like he kind of forgets this one i seem to remember <laughs> yeah dude. like all the bit where like you know someone's like oh well one of the people you could who could help you is this he's like a He's like a, a doctor. I know. I don't have a word for this yet. Um, what is he? He's like a man who helped people make feel better. If you're going to make him a doctor, it's going to yeah. be the, And he's, the, he's taken this literal. like oath that means he won't hurt people. Well, that's a wacky thing to do. <laughs> I've not, I've not met Hippocrates yet. Yeah. I think that's what I've got questions. a mission to go to him, but I haven't. Done yeah. It. Yeah. So, so. I think we're all at the same point in the game. Yeah. Actually. I think we yeah, are. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm I just finished one of those three branches. Yeah. One of which is like, just go fucking meet Hippocrates. And find out. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's uh, good. That, yeah. that's, such, that's one of the best things about Assassin's Creed and it, it's weird how the series has kind of forgotten that a little bit over the years like yeah. occasionally it nails it like of course you meet Da Vinci and you know yeah well, I still remember um, uh, Ezio inventing the latte because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like, actually I think this is the most I've liked an Assassin's Creed protagonist since Ezio yeah. as well Cassandra is, are we all, are we all yeah. playing as Cassandra I mean yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I like her more than Ezio actually yeah um, I think I I don't know if I do I think I think the fact that like 
the fact that they could stage the situations Ezio gets into means that, like, I think maybe you have a bit more fun with Ezio. Like, I'm very fond of... Also, you see Ezio's journey all the way through. Like, I really like Assassin's Creed Revelations Ezio, where he's an old man and doesn't give a shit anymore. And, like, that's <laughs> that's an arc I would like to see. Whereas, mm. Cassandra's fun, though. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good delivery on, on those lines for, yeah. for her. And it's really nice, and this is something they did well with... I've traditionally done reasonably well with Assassin's Creed. It's nice that it's, as far as I'm aware, a mostly Greek cast as well. And there's something nice yeah, about hearing proper yeah. pronunciations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've learned that every Greek name I know uh, should have had the second to last syllable stressed really strongly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Herodotus and yeah. Socrates and... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just that's what makes it pleasant to listen to as well. Mm. Like, even if sometimes the writing is a bit all over the place. But, um, but like, I don't think it's any worse than other RPGs when it's being duff. It's just occasionally i think that at least for me there are moments that stand out yeah that's all i really you know expect or hope for <laughs> the, you know is that there's a bit uh i don't want to spoil stuff but you know she's quite reckless and quite mm. uh impulsive and does just like sometimes incredibly rude stuff <laughs> yeah yeah uh, like so she, she serves a, uh she serves a quest object up a goat's ass just, <laughs> oh, that's such a good moment a yeah. character and that's and that is absolutely fantastic. And they had to animate that goat's awkward <laughs> exit, <laughs> yeah. exit, you know, uh, strut from the, after that scene. And, um, so just moments like that show more imagination than, uh, you know, m- most RPGs that you're probably going to I play. like that, um, that the protagonists are very specific characters as well. Like when mm. I first saw it, I wasn't sure why I was picking a character and not just male or female lead, right? Right. But they feel quite specific. And not just in the fact that obviously they have a role to play in the story, but that, like um cassandra particularly like feels like a very specific person and Mm. she's like um because and i think it's you know i think um actually alexius's like uh design is is quite sort of generic leading man kind of thing but i think she is genuinely like not like she is very much herself and, and doesn't fit the mold of a lot of like female protagonists in games in terms of how they're presented physically or in terms of their attitude like um, she's, you know, just being a mercenary is she's, quite unusual. She's a mercenary. She's, she's really tall. Like, <laughs> like you are like, and then occasionally you meet people who are much taller than you, but it's really rare because some people are just massive, but like, mm. but like the fact that she's really physically imposing and that's not like just an aesthetic thing. Characters refer to the fact that she's physically imposing. The fact that she's really built, like she's very, very muscular. The fact that the armor doesn't, the mesh for the armor doesn't change mm. male to female. So. Um, you know, or, uh, so, you know, when you're wearing a, you know, a breastplate or something, it's not suddenly boob armor, et cetera. Like all of those little details, I think really help. Um, and that, that, that is applied to other female characters in the game as well, but that I think really helps it. Um, I'm really liking all the yeah. casual relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> like yeah. coming from sort of, um, the only games I've played really where I've gone to relationships has been Bioware games where it's like a fucking long haul. It's going to be like 25 hours <laughs> yeah. of, of uh, slow burn before mm. anything, um, before you get anywhere. And then ancient Greece are just like, Hey, you're hot. Like, do you want to fuck? And they're like, yeah, but do this mission first. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, I find myself clicking, like, the heart option every time it appears, because it's almost more fun than the other, like... <laughs> I do wish, I, that's one case where I especially wish I could see the exact wording of what she's going to say, because sometimes I click the heart option, like, whoa, that is not <laughs> how I was going to go at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's um, there's a good one during the party. I don't know if you did the... Uh, yeah, I yeah, that. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just like, that's really fun. Yeah. Because, like, those characters come back later for, like, side quests and stuff, and right. they're a little, they refer to what's happened previously. Did you join in? I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was like, it's fucking ancient Greece, everybody. <laughs> Diving <laughs> straight in here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
and it's a symposium like yeah. <laughs> like uh, it's, it's really good it's really good yeah uh i really like that about it a lot um yeah so like i've been i think there are like i think we, again i keep feeling like oh man like on paper this system i'm currently encountering is completely broken like it's real weird some so many times mm. but i've really consistently been enjoying it. i played like 20 hours of it since last since uh in the last week 25 hours of it and mm. you know really genuinely yeah, enjoying i love the way it um it creates environmental in- interest and difference between its zones and it almost does it using seasons in a, in yeah. a, a way that you know wouldn't physically happen so you go to a place that's autumnal even though the whole world state is obviously supposed to be in the same season and then you'll go to islands that are just like pure white sands and just yeah. a totally different kind of feel even though without doing the sort of lava thing ice thing <laughs> <laughs> lava land <laughs> yeah. um they're able to create uh so much so much difference and so much actually i have found a lava land <laughs> <laughs> have you been to mykonos yet no i haven't I'm not sure i have actually it's real good um it's just a beautiful place uh and also i've been wanting to go there because every like every time i look at the map uh i see it and i get the fleet foxes song stuck in my head all over again i've just <laughs> right. been singing that song for like two weeks straight <laughs> non-stop um and yeah the place itself is gorgeous we should uh, mention the level boost thing because i bought it so last right. week we t- oh last, yeah, so two weeks ago we talked yeah, about we um, come back to it, yeah. the fact that you can buy a permanent 50 percent boost to how fast you gain xp mm. and i did buy that did you didn't Chris? i did not did you tom i did yes mm. yeah um i'm level 25 at the moment um i don't know how many hours i played though so i can't really do a fair comparison but it's felt it's definitely felt breezy for me the leveling up it's i've you know once uh, when i when i've just leveled up and i've spent a new ability point i know it's not going to be long before i have another one like if i'm mm. uh, i'll often just save one because i you mm. know, might want to um plan next time i level up i know it's not going to be very long until that happens um and that's been kind of nice for... It's definitely clear that a lot of, as I think you um, said last time, uh, the story stuff kind of levels up with you. So if you get ahead of it, it just matches your level pretty much or, yeah. or like doesn't fall too far behind. Like that boar, it was level 13 when I first fought it and I failed. And I thought, oh, I'll come back when I'm higher level. And I came back at level 25 and it was 21. Mm, so right. it levels up like... Some, to some extent. Of I don't think entire zones do this. I think as well in the game. Like, um, I've noticed entire zones just ticking up to like level seventeen when I'm like level yeah. nineteen and stuff like that. It's it's, it's visible on the map. You yeah. can see what the range is for a given zone and, and where it will go as far as I think. Mm. There's actually. I wonder how it'll work out with the spear because without spoiling any plot stuff, um, you're sort of capped in certain skills until you upgrade your spear. And how you do that is related to the cultist thing. And so that's um, the level tied. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't know if that's going to be any faster for me with the XP boost. I suppose I'll level up faster and therefore I can take on the cultist sooner. Mm. Yeah, that's, that'd be the thing. Like, so I'm level 20. It sounds like we're all about the same point in the game and I'm level 20 and, and I've not found the leveling owners at all. Right. Mm. Like, I, I really have not felt the pressure to buy the thing at, at all. Mm. Like, I tend to, so I tend to be a bit of a kind of explore everywhere, do everything player anyway. Mm. So, you know, I tend to, cause I like playing that way. I like sort of, I'll go this direction and do everything that there is to do in this direction and then, Maybe I'll get onto the main plot when I fancy it kind of thing. So maybe it's simply dispositionally. I'm not the kind of person who who would feel the pressure, but I've never been underleveled for something the game has asked me to do. Mm. Um, and I appreciate that maybe if I'd bought the booster, there would be cultists I could kill, but like there are plenty I can kill that I haven't yet. So I haven't really felt it in that regard either. So I actually did do something I was underleveled for because um, 
uh, I got a quest to go to Mykonos and I wanted to go there <laughs> for my own reasons. And it was like two levels above me. And I thought, eh, I'll just go there anyway and just see what it's like. And I can come back if it's, if it's too hard. And actually it was really good because it was a, a story about uh, rebels and they're fighting, um, uh, the, uh, Athenian oppressors and they are the scrappy underdogs and I was too. And so I got like, they gave a mission to like go burn the supplies, which is a thing I've done a million times and it's been really easy. But this time, like every single guard can totally fuck me up and I can't really take anyone out. Um, I could take out the basic guards, but not any of the bosses. And, uh, it was genuinely really difficult. I ended up having to just kind of like, uh, I blew it. Like they spotted me and I couldn't take them on in combat. So I had to just kind of like, uh, run away, but then on my way out, just kind of like throw a torch at one of these things and set fire to that and then kind of circle back and set like to the last one and then just like jump off a cliff to get away from them. And, uh, it kind of felt like them- thematically appropriate. Mm, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I, I do think the game is just worse when you're under leveled and you're in combat. And I do think the combat still kind of sucks. Yeah. Honest. Like, um, that's why I've gone all assassination and it's, um, uh, I've actually been able to avoid combat pretty much entirely except for like the early uh, i feel like the first few hours where you're very much on the plots rails and you have to do um the plots thing Mm. there's like so uh they make you do a big battle right the um for conquering the region to show you how that works you assassinate the leader then you do the big battlefield fight and that was actually really fucking a slog for me um and since then i don't think i've had to ever really had to take on someone in direct combat maybe like once or twice but only um, uh, only like one guy and I've now got this, uh, there's an ability in the assassin's tree that's, um, uh, it's like a mini assassination attack where, but yeah, it, I've got the same you one. can do that even if you're in combat. Mm. And w- with that and the, all the other stealth skills I've got, um, uh, I rarely actually have to engage with the combat system, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it's not amazing. Like uh, it, we've gone over like why the kick's really fun because it's dynamic and it interacts with mm. the environment unless you shortcut things in exciting ways. But the moment to moment combat stuff is, I still think quite weak. I don't think it's terrible. Like I quite like, mm. I think, I think it takes some getting used to because like things like the, the wind, like the timing for dodges and parries is like very different to Dark Souls. I think that's the main thing is it's like it, you have to preload your dodges and parries <laughs> quite more, a lot that's, more essentially. Yeah. It's not my problem with it. Like I, I, I dodge, I dodge, I dodge everything. <laughs> I dodge everything. The artful dodger. The artful dodger. No, um, I've, I've got the, the dodging, like, bang on. Like, I can activate slow-mo with every mm. dodge now in, in the mm. game. Uh, the problem I have with it is simply just the satisfaction of hits. Mm. And, like, it feels like you're sort of, like, slashing. It doesn't feel like you're hitting a thing. <laughs> like, it's always just, uh, your moveset is kind of going into this polygonal object and that yeah, maybe they're that's not fair. Just terribly reacting to it. Um, do you guys yeah. use the targeting system? Yes. Like, do you lock on? Yes. Uh, yep, unless it's a giant ball. <laughs> okay. In which case, unlock. <laughs> um, I've, yeah, I've not be- really been logging on, uh, locking on. <laughs> um, <laughs> log on and dodge. <laughs> in the... <laughs> um, except in the giant ball fight, um, because I, w- uh, like, I actually did, um, I don't like the equipment system where everything's just like 5% boost to this, 2% boost to that. Mm. Um, and I, it's, it creates no interesting decisions for me because I just want the assassination damage as high as possible. So I only ever pick that, no regard to anything else. But for the boar fight, I did, I specifically wanted to do it because I wanted to see if there was like a romance option with the lady who gives you the quest to do that. <laughs> um, 
And so I thought, fuck it, for, for this, I will respec myself just for this fight. So I took off all my assassin gear and put on all my best warrior gear because I had a shitload of just stuff carrying on with me. Um, and I also respect my skills because it's really cheap to do that. You mm. can pay like just a few hundred, uh, drachme and, um, just respec everything. So I was able to just respec straight into warrior. Um, and it's kind of cool how like, I just went through stats and I didn't pay attention to what I was putting on. I just went, okay, good warrior damage, good warrior damage, good warrior damage. And then looked at myself and like, shit, I actually look really fearsome now. <laughs> um, and fought the boar. And then, so it was like my first time engaging the combat system in a long time. And I've got the sort of overpower attack where it takes three adrenaline things. Yeah, it's really good. And it's different for every weapon type. Yeah, you can do it on animals though. I was using a spear, um, that, uh, I hadn't used a spear in a long time and I'd never used a spear with the overpower attack. And the overpower attack for the spear goes on for like 45 seconds. <laughs> it's like six sort of jabs and then a twirl and then another double twirl. Like full Star Wars kids, just Yeah, if yeah. you're not locked on, by the end of that, they're long gone. <laughs> they're in another part of the map now. You're still just swiping out the thing. So yeah, locking on might be worth doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a look at the, the sword, especially with overpower. Um, the overpower move the sword is really, really strong. Hmm. And actually, um, with uh, going down the warrior tree and building warrior, I can confidently take on enemies two levels above me now. Mm. All right. Uh, but that's only because, like, you get a sudden sort of power surge when your adrenaline bar grows. Yeah. Um, and that changes the game quite a lot, actually, like in, in terms of like the combat stuff. Um, and also the game changes a lot, you know, as, as that happens. Once it opens up past its sort of like eight hour, ten hour tutorial ish section, um, suddenly a lot, you can access a lot of areas at the same level. And this is one of the things that I think mm. honestly mitigates the speed at the XP boost past that point is that you can go a, a lot of places in the world at level like 14. Uh, loads of, loads of places around the coast are designed for you to just go there. So you can actually just frivolously go around and just do yeah. whatever you want to do and just casually level up. Um, it just feels like that drive, that the, the initial drive before you get to that point to do all the necessary plot stuff and, you know, mm. set up all the rest of the story that really locks you into quite a punishing XP curve and you don't yeah. have the tools, the combat tools to actually you know, negotiate the level disparity. I didn't find that, but I suspect that's because I did everything in every environment before moving on to the next one. I mean, one. yeah, yeah. I mean, this so me, much though. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I was at this preview event, which I mentioned last week, and um, they were having to go around telling people how to get leveled up enough to do that final regional fight uh, huh. in that zone. Like they're, they're having to go, and it wasn't do some side quests. It was like, oh, just go and hunt these mercenaries. And they'd take you to a mercenary and kill the mercenary. And then, oh, you don't, you still don't have enough. Okay. So go after this one instead. And it was the fact that they were having to manage people through that. Like, yeah, people who are very experienced with games, uh, that just felt like that was, there's a, there's a mathematical curve that's wrong mm. here. Yeah. That, that battle fight was a low point for me. And because of that, I've never done one since. Like I've, I've assassinated the leader of region and then I just leave it. I'm <laughs> just like, I don't know if that'll change. It probably won't, but uh, I'm not willing to do the battlefield fight. I don't care enough about who wins. Yeah. And also like if you, if you haven't spec for warrior tree, yeah. you're fucked because they're, they're, they're purely about just running around and doing DPS stuff. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, as much time as possible. You're literally on a timer. Like there are two, uh, health bars for each army dra- draining down. You have to kill more captains than the other people can kill warriors, basically. And that's, that's pure warrior tree spec for warrior damage. Do, you know, hand to hand fights, strip people's shields, 
yeah. killed in combat. You probably do it with the hunter tree as well, because you can just shoot people in the head. I think the hunter tree sucks. I think it's terrible. Some of the stuff's really good. Like, yeah. Charge, got charge, the... charge bow shot is quite good, because mm. you can get one shots to heads, which are basically one shot range assassinations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the predator shot, or uh, n- uh, it's the, the one where you guide it? Not the one where you guide it. The one where you just okay. activate... You, it is cost adrenaline, but it basically like means your next arrow does like lots more damage. Like, oh, okay. Assassination scale. I haven't damage. got that one. Hmm. I've just unlocked death arrows, though. <laughs> oh, the best ones. Yeah, those seem good. Ah, <laughs> oh, squeezing soft arrows. Yeah. <laughs> Why was I not using these earlier? Yeah. Um, I think, like, but it I, is like, so someone gives you some, and then after that you can craft them, and it's like, oh, before, I hadn't thought about making a death, <laughs> death arrow. arrow well. yeah. I find that, like, I, I agree with you, I think the combat lacks a certain sense of impact, however, I've kind of liked, as soon as I understood, like, there's, a, there's an upgrade in the warrior tree that rewards you for doing a combo that involves both light and heavy attacks. Yes. And so once you got that, that's quite important because it adds mm. quite a lot to your damage. Yeah. And I use the, I use either the staff or the double bladed axe most mm. of the time. And both of those weapons have like quite potent control effects on the final parts of combos. Mm. So like you can chain into a really fast sweep with the axe that knocks people over. And it's mm. actually normally you spend adrenaline to knock people over. Yeah. And that for me, because I agree with you with the sword or the daggers, you are totally just carving up a loaf. Like you are mm. reducing the health bar to zero. Whereas with the heavier weapons, I quite like them because you do have this sense that like, if you can fit in the quick combo before your opponents attack, you'll do like an AOE sweep that like knocks everybody over. And Mm. like that's, that feels like, I think, I think at that point you're having a system step in for things that maybe the whole system should be doing well, but that gives you a sense of impact because like Mm. I become this, like this lady with a huge halberd basically that just swings it around her head and knocks people over. And I I think it's my experience is it's a very wet kind of chipping down a health bar thing. Right. And it, it like, it's about doing incremental. So do you want very wet, Tom? The you, sea. The, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Um, but you know, you slash someone across the throat with a legendary, uh, Spartan blade and you've done, you know, a t- 10% of the health bar is yeah, chipped yeah. off and, and the, the game really suffers from that. Uh, and, and I, I feel like it's crying out for like a ground execution move or options that let you once you've actually achieved a knockdown or something that you just punish them because you're a fucking assassin and you should be able yeah. to just execute people instead have of chipping got, people down have you got the assassination move Tom was talking about the one that allows you to assassinate in combat no hero that's, strike that's like because it sounds I've, bad because they don't so tell you the, the, the main feature of it which is you can use it in combat like yeah. it, it the, even the video they show you of to show the skill is someone sneaking up on somebody and using it and it's like and it does 60% of assassination damage so it's like why would I want a move uh, that costs adrenaline yeah. does less damage than my normal assassinate and that yeah. I have to use in, in stealth mode but you don't you can just use it in combat it's also a guaranteed knockdown and an AOE if you don't target it right and it one shots most animals which is really interesting like so like it's the key to the boar fight for me hmm. because if you type if you angle it right it kills every single boar at the same time well so yeah. it's on quite a long cooldown but like yeah. that has been a big pace increase of I used fire <laughs> the magical ability to set your sword on fire and then hit boars and then they're on fire very quickly <laughs> yeah I did a bit of both um uh, it's worth saying a thing I didn't know for a long time is a lot of these skills after you get the first level of them, the second level of them is something totally different. You just can right. like mm. th- there's one that was like paralysis arrows. I didn't go for that because um, I was if I want to knock someone out, I can get up close to them and do that. Um, and then it turns out like fire arrows is the next level of that, and poison arrows is the third level of that. Mm. And there's a bunch of skills like that where until you get the first level, there's no way to know what levels two and three are, and they're just right. totally different things. In fact, we're talking about dodgy writing. Like some of the worst writing is in the, just the descriptive text yeah. of abilities and that stuff. That hero like, strike one is, I think, that's like 
Hall of Fame worst worst <laughs> presentation of a skill because yeah. it doesn't tell you the key feature which is you can use it in combat and it says unleash the full power of the Spear of Leonidas does 60% assassination damage <laughs> come on did you not yeah. see that <laughs> right right unleash 60% of the power of the Spear of Leonidas <laughs> does 100% assassination damage um, yeah like it's yeah it's all over the place but that that ability is really like I found because I've got like two points in Hunter hmm. vast majority of my points in Warrior and about five to ten points in assassin and uh no not that many five to six but it's it's enough that like my assassinations are quite powerful and like that Mm. you know that uh, in combat assassination with the right gear is like between a third to a half of a elite enemy's health bar even without the which is quite helpful because it means Mm. that again it it helps the whittling stuff feel less onerous because if i whittle to a third that's a one-shot kill yeah and so it's sort of like but uh, this is a classic example of an upgrade tree mitigating the irritation of right. the core combat mm, system yeah, they've, you're right. they've created. Um, yeah, and, and I'd love to see a combat system that's built around disabling enemies and then executing them like an assassin. Uh, mm. But maybe that's not what Cassandra would do anyway. But yeah, whatever. I like it when you hit the people with the shield, Tom. And it was you who told me <laughs> that, about that. In that the is place. a very good yeah, skill, isn't it? I got that one, even though I'm not really a warrior, but it's just very fun to do. Yeah, it's, really <laughs> it's like, it's always disappointing when you fight, like, it's just, it's you like, know, oh. dual wielding poison sword men. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what of yours can I stab and steal and hit you with? Like, <laughs> so you have an ability where you just grab one of the swords and slap them with it and throw it away. It's just a very fuck you move, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a very much like, you know, oh, nice toy you've got there. Actually, off it goes. Bonk. It yeah. reminded me how much I love a lot about the combat. And this reminds me how much I love Arkham Asylum's combat. Mm. And um, in particular, anyone who has a weapon in Arkham Asylum is in so much trouble with Batman. Because <laughs> like, if they have like a gun, you just like bend it in half. Uh, if they have a shield, you can like punch through the window in the shield mm. and then like pick it up and whack them over the head with it. <laughs> like anything, you'll not only take their weapon and hit them with it, you'll also break the weapon in the process. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you didn't like this crack. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But yeah, no, I'm I'm still really digging it. For, for all its flaws, there's something about the is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I've had a few frustrations. There's like, uh, there was at least one story mission where you're supposed to assassinate someone, and because they're a plot character, even though they're facing the wall when you come in, they just instantly detect you. Even though oh like, yeah, that was, I think I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah, and that was bullshit. That that was one of the few forced fights I had to engage with the combat system there, and it was annoying. Hmm. And a couple of things like that. So one thing I have struggled with in uh, Odyssey is uh, missions where you're not allowed to kill anyone, or they, that's not actually the rule, but they say, do this and don't be seen. So one of right. them was like, doctor, uh, like, doctor a voting ballot, and obviously don't be seen, because if you get seen doing that, like, <laughs> it's going to invalidate the whole thing. And I don't think that's... My interpretation of that was like, don't kill anyone, just leave all guards exactly where they are and, and um, get the mission done without them knowing you were ever there. And I was just not able to do that. I just couldn't see it. Like there was, I'm wrong about this, but I thought there was only one entrance to the place and there's just two guards. I'm right about this who just watch that forever. They never mm. move. They're actually quite good um, at being guards for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing what, what so few guards do. Um, and I'm really bad in stealth situations of, of like finding what all the options are. I, if I can't take people out, I'm, I don't do a good job of scouting. So I don't find out about, yeah. it turns out there's another entrance I didn't see. But to me, it just seemed like this just can't be done. And I think what they want you to do is just kill the people and hide them really well so that nobody knows they died. 
Um, <laughs> and I wasn't willing. I, I thought like, oh, I could do that, but, um, I want to engage with the, the fiction of this at least. And so I was trying not to kill anybody and trying not to, um, you know, even knock anyone out. Um, and then I realized actually, if you knock someone out, you can then hire them. <laughs> and so I just hired everybody. In the place. <laughs> just, like, except for, it was actually those two guards that I ended up not, um, getting cause they were right next to each other. I didn't have a good way of non-lethally taking out two people at once, but everybody else patrolled. And so I just knocked every single person out and hired them for my crew. <laughs> just like, I'm going to offer you a new job. Cause I think after that, like, it'll be weird that everybody found new jobs after this, but it won't necessarily be a crime. <laughs> and those two, I was able to sit by them and there's another entrance and I got in and did the register. And that was the only way I could figure out that the fiction would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if like eight out of the 10 guards posted to guard this all got new jobs suddenly, it's really suspicious, but it's not necessarily <laughs> voter fraud. <laughs> it's just a roaming HR person. It happens. Like it's, <laughs> but I, I generally started came. to wonder like, do we have enough jobs for these people? <laughs> Am I luring them with a false promise of a job? Yeah. We're expanding too quickly. It's a startup <laughs> pirate crew. Um, I didn't, I'm talking about the world state being relatively and, and pleasingly consistent. There's a mission on the first island where you're told to like steal this particular object that you will later shove up a goat's ass, um, and don't be seen doing it. But I had already found the place you go to to do that and mm. killed every single person <laughs> in it. Um, so, and, and the game respected that. So I went there and it's like, yeah, but it, Cassandra still says like, I should not be seen while I'm here. And there's, there was like one person left and it was like, like one of like the, the slaves or something or the household servants who was just running around in a panic. And that was the only person I had to avoid. I'm still upset the about this to be honest. Yeah, the corpses were still on the ground. <laughs> like everyone else was dead. Um, but uh, like, uh, yeah. And then got back and the dialogue was like, you know, uh, you didn't get seen. Fantastic. It's like, well, there's some mitigating circumstances. It's because I pre murdered everybody. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's one way of staying ahead of the XP. Anyway. <laughs> Should we do some questions? Yeah. yeah. And because people are definitely not sick of us talking about Assassin's Creed, I thought it'd be good if the first question we did was about Assassin's Creed. It's actually not really, because, uh, George, uh, wrote in to ask a question kind of about Assassin's Creed, but I'm, I'm not going to read the full question because, uh, he does include some spoilers for the game, which we've already avoided, so I don't really want to go back to it. Mm -hmm. But the, the point of the question is this. Um, he, he's basically discussing the fact that the game does include themes that are, are pretty richly presented in, in Greek tragedy, uh, as you might expect, um, to do with stabbing people, as yours might expect. Um, uh, he writes, having been thinking about theatre, are there any examples of video games employing dramatic irony? Is there a way of giving the player knowledge of that the avatar they control is ignorant of? Sorry for writing a whole play to get to that short question. Uh, thanks for all the good pods. So I kind of wanted to make a point that um, dramatic irony in a video game is more traditionally called good narrative dissonance. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh wait. no, we've got to drink this. Shit, delicious sorry. <laughs> sorry, um, but um, the uh, and this is kind of an interesting point because, like, you know, I think um, I don't think you can do dramatic irony in a game mm. very easily because the the purpose of dramatic irony in a dramatic sense is to create the the drama and the tension of watching somebody make an error. Yeah. You know, to, you know, you have to be mm. not them for that to work yeah, or else yeah. it is not dramatic irony. Yep. Yeah. And so like, it's really difficult. Like you can, you can have ironic situations, I think, or you can have, but even then they're not very satisfying from a, from a game point of view. Mm. But I feel like, um, 
yeah, this is, uh, it's actually interesting that this is so difficult to achieve mm. in a video game because it relies very heavily on like, you know, you know, um, Greek drama has a drama, has a, a, a dadge, dadges abruptly. Dadge this, this issue. Um, but, but it has, you know, the, the audience plays a specific role in, in some ways in those, in those plays. And, you know, they are addressed directly by the chorus and, you know, they are kind of like there to sometimes maybe to even pass judgment or bear witness to an act. They're very unlike video game players in a lot of very important ways in terms of how passive you are. So I think it's kind of interesting that that's a sort of a mode that games struggle to adopt. Mm. There was an interesting case that came up in, um, on video games hot dog recently, um, where uh, Jim Crawford had been playing Prey a lot and he was talking about there's some special content that you kind of get if you kill everybody in Prey. Right. <laughs> like if you just murder every human you ever see, um, including the friendly ones. Um, and Zach was saying, well, why would anyone ever do that? And I immediately thought, well, I'm not confused about that. I know immersive sim players. <laughs> there's some people who will never be seen by anybody ever, if that's humanly possible. And there's some people who will kill everybody ever, if that's humanly possible. And there's some people who will never kill anybody, if that's humanly possible. And, you know, there are just players who will do that. And I also think that eventually, without spoiling any specifics, Prey kind of gives a reason why that might be the way that somebody plays the game. Right, yeah. But obviously the player um, who does that uh, probably wouldn't know that when they start the game. And so there's there there is this weird, like, player mindset and fictional mindset accidentally lining up like there's a a player might do this because they're a player and they're an asshole and like players just want to know the limits and they want to try things and like is it possible to kill everyone i'll try and kill everyone uh they'll do it for their own reasons and then there can also be a fictional reason and they're they're not at all the same but they lead to the same course of action maybe this is like the greek tragedy of like protagonistus the extreme who's bound by the gods to just produce a single pattern of behavior over and over again <laughs> and over again. Like I must collect every melon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this has driven me to kill everybody in, in, in this, in the world. You know, that's, that's maybe a form of dramatic irony that games can do, but again, not it's quite different. Yeah. 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 Well, it is because it's also dumb. The thing I said, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's an example of, cause there are like, there are plenty of games that ask you to make a decision where, you know, it's bad for the play, the character, but it's sort of like, you're, yeah. you're all caught up in the moment and that doesn't quite work because and definitely on your second time through is very, very common for games to like the whole thing you're working towards at the end of the game turns out to be invalid or the wrong thing to do. And then yeah. when you're replaying it, it's this weird case of like, uh, I'm playing this to play the game, but I know I shouldn't be doing this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have a very different relationship with fate in the game. Like, fate is so central to dramatic irony in some ways because it's one of the ways that sort of is framed as a kind of like, this character is on this course and there's no changing it and maybe they think they can change it but they can't and you know that. You know, simply mm -hmm. the awareness of fate might be the source of dramatic irony in, in some cases and, and in that is again, like, Again, that happens in video games, but it's in the course of like the knowledge that it doesn't so matter annoying, what I do. Though. Yeah, it's exactly. So annoying. It's annoying. Like, <laughs> it's because like, uh, so my character is a moron, even though I'm inhabiting their body and yeah. <laughs> moving them around this space and they still have to stumble into this. And instead of that being, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, harrowing, oh God, why didn't you just do something different? It's like, well, I could have done something different. I'm in control of this person. So uh, yeah, that just becomes a frustration instead of a, you know, a, a feeling of, you know, uh, a morose feeling of it was, despair. To bring this back to Assassin's Creed, it was a little bit much to be lectured by Socrates on, um, 
the nature of choice for a mandatory quest. <laughs> it's like a quest you have to do. <laughs> if I was doing something wrong, and then Socrates is like, "Ah, oh, but you had a choice not to do this." I'm like, no, I fucking didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have got to meet you in this cutscene, Socrates. <laughs> like, also the fact that you have dialogue choices that don't really change much mm. in your yeah. tr- conversation with Socrates <laughs> about how choice doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, there is some irony there, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's not direct. Conscious. It's not the good yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Um, yeah, you're right. That, um, <laughs> that, uh, that, it doesn't work. It's <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't. Uh, next question comes from Kingsley, who writes, Hi CNC, returning to the one question of other types of, returning to the question of other types of writing in games. I just thought I'd raise getting over with, getting over it with Bennett Foddy as an example of video game as essay. This might be the only game in that genre, certainly the only one I can think of. This isn't really a question, but I thought the original question deserved a slightly less hot take than tutorials equal poetry. <laughs> Cheers, Kingsley. Hey. <laughs> or a few whiskeys uh, in, I think, at that point. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw this mentioned in the CNC Discord actually as a possible answer to that question and thought, yes, that's correct. We should have thought of that. <laughs> that is a, it's a non-fiction game with good writing in it yep and um and we didn't think of it so there you go yep yep but we did bang on about <laughs> <laughs> look i, I feel this. like we got to a valuable place <laughs> <laughs> well like um it was it was it, like i think it's you, you, it was a raw take and it took us all <laughs> on a journey <laughs> let's not concern ourselves with the temperature of the take <laughs> yeah indeed um yes um the next question also concerns that take, however, uh, and it comes, um, from someone whose name is If Coltrans G. Uh, dear Hacks and Handax, last pod you all decided that tutorial text was not quite the same as poetry. <laughs> no game exemplifies this better than War of the Willows, a text game written entirely in verse about fighting your tree ancestors. It is 100% poetry, 0% tutorial, and is consequently very hard to understand. That's not even the only obstacle to playing it. You have to compile its source code yourself using Python 2. A side effect of this was that I uh, could read its source code to figure out how to win because it was written in easy-to-grok Python. While I could ask Tom about the poetry inherent in game code, my real question is this. What's the most a game can ask you to do on the promise of an interesting mechanic? Hmm. That's a good question. Not a lot. uh... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I can't answer the question they did ask, but I can answer the question they, they refused to ask, which is about code and poetry. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because uh, years ago, I, I covered um, uh, somebody who was writing code that was in rhyming verse. Hmm. So it was valid code that would compile and would actually like run something, um, but the code itself rhymed and also was like, uh, I think they did several versions. I think one of them was a sonnet. So the code was like a valid sonnet. Uh, but yeah, just like the line endings rhyming with the next ending of the next line, which is impressive. That is impressive. Sonnet the hedgehog. No, that's not, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Why did I say it? Um, I love the phrase valid sonnet. <laughs> but, uh, it's the cellar door, uh, scene in, so I collect these little two word phrases that, um, are amusing uh from that scene from Don and Darko where you know well you know two most beautiful words in the English language are cellar door and she uh Drew Barrymore stands there in front of this blackboard that has cellar door just written on it and um <laughs> my Twitter career uh I've several times just basically just substituted cellar door for various 
absurd <laughs> two word phrases uh the latest one was overflow cloaca <laughs> from Final fantasy 12 which was a description of a sewer anyway so thank you Tom, for that, that yeah. latest entry yeah, valid, sonnet. The line, yeah. I... valid sonnet sounds like a metal gear character <laughs> <laughs> what a boss <laughs> what a boss fight there's a line from a movie and i can't remember what the movie is but i'm pretty sure reese iphones says it um and uh he's i believe quoting dylan thomas but i don't know for sure uh saying and i can't remember what town he's talking about it's probably cardiff uh saying that it was described as a um a beautiful terrible town and um whoever he's talking to says well, I always call it a pretty shitty city. <laughs> and then he says, at least mine rhymes. <laughs> That's very good. What was the question? I, I have that answer. It was, what's the most a game can ask you to do on the premise of an interesting mechanic? Um, like the least amount of investment possible on the players. Spend part some to get money. Some reward on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess if you spend money, then you, you've got some automatic kind of, you know, that, that buys you some time, developers. <laughs> <laughs> I've bought, I, I, I've become very impatient with like simply getting things working fiddliness. Mm, I know yeah. this makes me a, a less qualified PC gamer, but I just don't, I don't care to do it. Yeah. I, I yeah. would like things to work. I'm, it's like one of my resolutions this year is to give up more. <laughs> like when I'm trying to get something working, just give up. Yeah. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a shame because there are experiences that should work well and don't. But I encounter this quite a lot writing their back for PC Gamer, mm. where there are things that like, like Arcs Fatalis, game I like. Oh, yeah. Interesting game. I've wanted to write about it for a while. It just don't really want to work on Windows 10 for me at all. Mm. I've tried, mm. I tried quite hard, but not a lot <laughs> because there are other things I could write about. Yeah. Um, maybe that's more reflection on me than on the game, but yeah, there's, I, I, I will, that's the answer is I, I will not try very hard. I will, google once <laughs> and if the instructions it's, are relatively simple fine oh yeah with technical stuff like there's a shitload of stuff that works great first time and then there's a shitload more stuff that works with just like one fix like oh it doesn't quite work but if i just do this it works if it doesn't work after the one fix there's a very good chance it's going to take 25 fixes <laughs> it's going to yeah. be just this rabbit hole that you never yeah. get out if of. something passes into the this could be a couple of different things sphere <laughs> i'm out yeah <laughs> like like Fulton balloon me out of there I'm gone like <laughs> and I it's also like a lot of people who have the technical mindset also uh are bad at the mindset of like stepping back and evaluating how much trouble is this really worth how much trouble I've already sunk you know yeah mm. how much trouble is it likely to be because we have this sense of like this should work I should be able to I, I had a situation where it was just like a laptop and a tv and I just wanted this the picture from the laptop uh, to be on the tv surprisingly hard. and uh, it just wasn't working and, uh, my first fix didn't, tr didn't work. And I ended up doing like eight different things that I tried and none of them worked. And it was only after like thing number nine that I realized I can just watch this on the fucking laptop. Like it's a smaller screen, but it's closer to me. <laughs> it's not that different. Why didn't I just give up? Like it was just because it should work. There's no, I have an yeah. HDMI cable. This should work. This, this is supposed to output to that thing. Why doesn't it? Work? There's some sort of hmm. like, AV kind of impulse that people have. <laughs> it's like this should incorporate itself into a perfect AV setup <laughs> yeah. that I will maintain. But that is like a distant dream. Like no one ever successfully maintains like a perfect AV setup with lots of different switches for any given amount of time. Mm. <laughs> um, but everyone dreams of it, I think. It's one of those universal fantasies. Is it? No. So this also goes if you ever have like imperfect internet. Mm. Um, if you have like dodgy Wi-Fi or like intermittent 3G or whatever. 
and you're trying to like download something or make something work, just give up. Just don't do it. Like your life is just better if you just assume this is impossible. Yeah. Act as if you have no internet. If you, if you think you have internet and you only have partial internet, your life is hell for that entire time. There will be no pleasure had. <laughs> it will be 100% torment. If you think you have no internet, you're just like, oh, well, I don't have internet. I'll do this later. <laughs> That's maybe the wisest thing ever said. <laughs> this is the new best Tom Francis moment of 2018. <laughs> It's, this is good though, because we don't have to actually argue with this in order to save three years of each of our lives. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Pete, who writes directly into my wheelhouse with this question. He writes, uh, I picked up Destiny 2 when it initially released and had a grand time playing it, even though I had zero exposure to Destiny previously. The storytelling does an amazing job of introducing characters to me and giving me a reason to care for them. And also does a really good job of explaining the world in such a way that while I don't necessarily understand everyone's backstory, I have a good idea, or at least I think I do, of why people are where they are and what they are doing. I've also been enjoying the latest expansion for Destiny 2. However, unlike the original release, I now feel completely lost when it comes to the lore of who these people are, uh, Aldrin, Petra, and the Queen, and what's going on, especially the entire plot around the death of Cade 6. That's not a spoiler, because that's in every trailer of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And why the hell the Prison of Elders even exists. So to my question, would you possibly be interested in doing a one-off podcast or longer series, if there's reason, to give people who have never played Destiny before Destiny 2 a primer on what the hell is going on? If not, do you know of any good resources for reading up on the backstory of the game? Thanks, Pete. So when I read this out in the break, Tom, you said, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I could talk for two to... 10,000 hours about uh, <laughs> Destiny lore. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so, I mean, I was thinking, I kind of do want to do this. I don't know when we would do this. Mm. And we may have like missed the topicality window on some of this. But um, there is, um, I did write a bunch of lore articles um, about Destiny for PC Gamer. So mm. maybe I could, maybe some of them might help. There's also a bunch of good YouTubers that do Destiny lore stuff. Yeah. Um, in fact, I did write a primer to destiny 2 for pc players before we knew what the story to destiny 2 was going to be yes so that might have i'll check it if that's going to be useful to someone because a lot of the stuff that that pete refers to is is destiny is is stuff that's pretty prominent in destiny 1 and, and forsaken so much a sequel to that stuff yeah and, and those guys were tricky because destiny 1 wasn't not released on pc so yeah. and so much that grounding and and just how the universe works in terms of what the ghosts are what the traveler is and you know what relationship those entities have to humanity are not terribly well expressed necessarily in destiny 2 yeah. because um you know if they strip all that way and build you back up without actually explaining what those powers mean and mm. where they've come from and why that might be problematic or interesting or complicated uh yeah uh, but yeah yeah um there is legit interesting stuff in destiny law um we'd have to I, mean, I think it would be a good candidate for a breakout podcast because it would have to go back into destiny one and back into console yeah world, uh, i think to, my my, my wariness about that is i simply don't know how i would structure it oh yeah because yeah. there's there's a lot yeah there's a lot i do like it a lot though i need to get up to speed on some things because there's a lot of new lore as well yeah we need to raid as well yeah we do need to raid that's unrelated to this podcast yes. but we do need to do the raid because it looks great it looks really fucking cool uh, our final question comes from Aiden and also concerns poetry because we're never getting that away from that one apparently <laughs> uh, Aiden writes did any of you play Starseed Pilgrim it had a very hands-off tutorial and required you to experiment and explore to determine both what you could do but also your goal within the game the only help given was a tutorial poem gain from loss wonders not measure but Starseed hearts yield Starseed treasure 
This made me wonder whether you could use your unique mix of game knowledge and English literature training to make new tutorials based on famous poems. Uh, for example, maybe the new Sonic game has a This Be The Tutorial poem. Uh, man hands on misery to man, it deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out quickly as you can and don't lose any rings yourself. <laughs> uh, or, I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Press X to jump o'er grass and stone, and near it, half sunk, a secret passage lies, and door whose lock is hid and opens when you die. Etc, um, etc. Et kind regards, Aiden. Those are very good. Yeah. Uh, the challenge posed by this question is... Too hard for it's us. Too hard. <laughs> it's too difficult. And we, we, you know, gestured drunkenly at this last week. So what more do you want, you, you yeah. monsters? Um, but, um, I mostly just wanted to read those good, they're very good, good yeah. thoughts. Enjoy I have played Starseed Pilgrim. It's yeah. good. Um, which one is that? It's the one, it's by Drocken, uh, who has done many games, uh, of which, uh, the two I can think of are, uh, Midas, where everything you touch turns to gold, like a platformer. And another one where, like, you have to hold your breath underwater. You have to physically, in real life, hold your breath when you're underwater in the game. And it's just like a trust system. Like, it, it just asks you to do that. Right. <laughs> um, uh, he has a million uh, great ideas. And Starseed Pilgrim is the one where um, it's almost Tetris-looking blocks. Uh, and when you plant a seed, it'll sort of grow pink blocks. And pink blocks will grow in a certain pattern. And they'll right. uh, keep building up. And you're trying to sort of step on them and then plant new things on top of that that structure to get uh to a certain uh point and then i can't remember exactly what triggers this but at some point the whole world kind of inverts and all of the solid space becomes empty space and all the empty space becomes solid space and so now like the structure you built is the shape of the level that you're in and you're trying to get back to like a key and because i didn't know i was building the level i was going to be playing i was it wasn't a good level (laughs) i failed (laughs) um i remember finding very difficult to 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 progress beyond that um but yeah it's a very very interesting abstract um game there's like a whole website that's still regularly updated i think that's just dedicated to exploring that game and just talking about it and just articles about starseed pilgrim and mm. yeah it's a it's a real phenomenon the best laid tetris right. block levels of some men <laughs> <at Ganaglay>. <laughs> <laughs> there you go good that is all of the questions we have time for. If you would like to send us a question for each episode of the podcast, you can email us at questions at creightandcrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creightandcrowbar. And as ever, thank you to our Patreon backers for supporting the podcast and its spin-offs. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash creightandcrowbar. And as ever, you can find our community on our excellent Discord channel, the link for which is on our website at creightandcrowbar.com. Uh... We should now do our Twitter thing. That is true. Yes. <laughs> My Twitter thing. It's C Thurston. C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Uh, I, Tom Senior, am at PCG Ludo. I don't really tweet very much anymore, but I I, I'm there. I'm yeah. there. Whatever. If you want to say hello, say hello there. <laughs> it's cool. I still tweet all the fucking time, <laughs> especially about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I'm at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Tom, I very much enjoyed your prison gif. Oh, <laughs> I was at myself. <laughs> Good. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I almost left you hanging, but didn't.